Welcome to Wildlife Outdoors with your host, Russell and Jose. If you have a passion for conservation of the outdoors, or you're enjoying a calming hike in the mountains, an exhilarating kayak trip on the river, feeling a fish on the end of your line, cooking on an open flame in a primitive campsite, or stalking big game, just waiting for the perfect shot, you're in the right place. So put on your boots and polarized sunglasses and come along for the ride. All right, y'all. Happy New Year and hope you guys had a Merry Christmas as well. Welcome back to another Wildlife Outdoors episode. <clears throat> My name is Jose and we're joined today by uh, Russell as always. And we have a special guest with us, Ben Wooster, who is active duty military, has been for the last 10 years has been guiding for five years and has just recently started this year guiding full-time under his own uh, his own uh, company name. And he guides for dove, ducks, geese, sand hills, pretty much anything with wings, as he put it. Um, he does some dog training, and he's just all about the outdoors, and uh, we're glad to have him on. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Oh, uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely, Of course, man. of course. So you've been in the military for, for 10 years. Um, how, how did, how did the guiding kind of fit in? Because I seem to overlap with your military career a bit as well. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's super, super tough. Um, so I have a lot of weekends off. I have Saturday, Sundays off. Um, but a lot of those like weekday scouting, I had to rely on other people. Um, and it, it was a, a big, like, well, what if, what if we go here? What if we go there? And finally I had to hire people or guys that were disabled veterans that could do that stuff for me. That could do time in the seat, go look for birds, that kind of stuff. Um, but man, I guided like the way I started guiding was actually another active duty military guy that was like, Hey, you might as well, you're good at what you do. You might as well start a guide service. That's awesome. So is that something that you grew up doing, doing, you know, waterfowl hunting and whatnot? So I grew up in California. I grew up in Northern California, actually. Uh, we used to go travel. I grew up right outside of Oakland, California, right? Weird. Wouldn't think you waterfowl hunting. <laughs> you live in Oakland, California, right? Um, well, I hooked up with a couple of buddies of mine one day, and they're like, hey, man, we're going to go duck hunt. And, like, he had been duck hunting with his dad for years, Um and he said, we're going to go up to this place called the Los Banos. I'm like, the bathroom. We're going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, we're going to go up and we're going to go hunt. That's up kind of up towards Sacramento. And it's just flooded rice fields. And it's uh, all public land. Like, um, what do we want to call it? Uh, WMAs, mm -hmm. yeah. right? They're all WMAs that you can hunt. And in California, you can only hunt them Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Really? Interesting. Yeah, interesting. And it's all a draw. Like, you'll have, like, eight guys for four blinds, and you got to draw it. Um, but I fell in love doing that 12, 13 years ago. Yeah, 13 years because it's 2024 now. So I started that 13, like, I started doing that 13 years ago, and I absolutely fell in love after day one. And then I just never stopped. It was all gas, no brakes. And I joined the military, kind of had to go on cruise control for a little bit. Didn't hunt ducks in Texas 
for about three years of being here. And then I finally said, screw it. Let's go hunt some ducks again. And, uh, we did it and we've, I've taken off from there. That's awesome. So you're stationed in Abilene, right? Yeah. I'm at Dias air force base. So I know it's kind of dry over there. So how does that affect the waterfowl hunting? Dude, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> we have finally got rain. We got rain yesterday and today for the first time in like a month. Um, but the waterfowl hunting kind of sucks. I mean, this is, to be honest, this is why I named my outfit Shin Deep because like we used to have tanks that were, were waist deep to shoulder deep and now everything's just shin deep, man, because everything is so low and the drought has hit us hard. Um, and that's why I've kind of converted more to shooting crane and geese and dry fields. I see. Because it's just, it's easier, but harder at the same time. You got to cover more ground to try to dry field birds than a tank. I mean, you can go drive around and look on Onyx for a while and be like, look, there's a tank here and here and here and here. I only got to go find five guys that I can get access to when we dry field hunt and you can go find a, a 600 acre section and that's got 10 owners. And now you got to be like, okay, well now I got to go find Johnny over there and Johnny owns 10 acres in that. And then Jimmy owns a hundred acres of that. So now do I try to hunt Johnny's place or can I only hunt Johnny's place? Or can I hunt Johnny and Jimmy's place? So on and so forth. I mean, that's that's one big struggle of, of doing that nowadays. I mean, I've run into that issue a lot in um, in private land hunting, and especially when you lease from these people. Yeah. So is that something where you just look at the property owner on Onyx and then try to contact them, whether it be social media or mail? Like how, do, how do you even go about getting access to this private land? Man, Onyx, right? Onyx is my yeah. best friend. Onyx is my best friend. Uh, <laughs> Onyx and door knocking. You go door knock on somebody's door and they, <laughs> they tend to be like, okay, well now I got a little secret weapon in my bag, right? I, well, I got two secret weapons in my bag. Um, one being active duty military, right? You always tell these guys, hey, I'm active duty military and this is what I do and this is what I love doing. This is my dream. A lot of them be like, yeah, man, come on. Come right ahead, right? Y'all can do whatever y'all want to do. Really? But my other secret weapon in my bag is send your wife to the door first before you <laughs> even go. Because, you know, you go knock on an old lady's door and you go knock on an old lady's door and they see a, a younger, younger girl at the door. They're going to answer the door. But yeah. if they see me, they see me, they're going to be like, mm, we're not going to answer it. Especially right. if you're tattooed. Like, yeah. yeah. That is that is a total other thing. Like we could talk West Texas farmers about that too. That is that is I've had so many run-ins because I have like I have arm tattoos, I have leg tattoos, like all this other stuff, and a lot of them won't answer the door. If you walk up to their door and you knock on the door and you're like you're wearing shorts and you're like, Oh, I have full leg sleeves and arm tattoos. Well, I did an experiment one day where I wore shorts and a t-shirt and I went and knocked on somebody's door farmer and you get greeted with a gun. Hey, what are you doing here? You yeah. can leave. Two days later, man, I put on a pair of jeans and a nice button up t-shirt, <laughs> nice button up fishing shirt. And I went and knocked on the door and the guy didn't even know who I was. 
That's Man. crazy. Good pro tips there. Jeez. Right? <laughs> That's like, it could be, they think you're casing on one hand. And on yeah. the other hand, they're like, eh, he might sell me something good. Let's see what he's about. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. But That's I mean, crazy. it's, I love the game so much, man, that, that I have ducks and cranes tattooed on my arms. That's so, awesome. yeah. but they don't, they don't look at it like that. Yeah. Like people like me, we look at it like that, but then them like old 80 to 90 year old farmers like, Oh, this guy's got ink on his arms. Don't answer the door. Right. <laughs> He's probably been to prison. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yep. They, they yeah. still think about that. <laughs> it's crazy. So you said veteran owned and operated. So with the guys that you bring in, you said you brought in a lot of disabled vets. So obviously you being in the military, veterans are going to have a, a soft spot in your heart. But secondary to that, does it make it a little bit easier that they understand what you're going through when they have to pick up your slack during the week and whatnot? Yes, definitely. Uh, I got one of my really good guides. Um, his name's Jared. I It's kind of weird how we met. We met just happenstance. Um, I was at my wife's sister's house. And we kind of ran down the, they live, her, my wife's sister lives in the middle of nowhere, man. There's like eight people that live in this town and there's one bar in the whole county and it's called the county line. And, um, I mean, I don't, I don't drink, but I will take like my wife's sister over there. Like we'll go hang out, do whatever. Like I'm open about just going out there, hanging out. Well, this guy comes up to me because I'm wearing a freaking, I'm wearing a hat that says, talk to me about duck stuff or something like that. And it was right after duck season ended. And this guy walked up to me and him and I just hit it off. We just talked. We talked for like two and a half hours and turns out, found out that this dude's disabled veteran. Like, and then just from then it was just like, we just clicked. That's awesome. That's kind of how me and Jose are. We had a lot of times when I lived in Texas that we would go out and just sit there and and sometimes we'd have people with us. Sometimes it'd just be us and we'd sit there and have a drink or two and just talk. And next thing you know, it's been two, three, four hours sitting there talking about random things. Normally had something to do with wildlife um, or animals in general, but that's very similar to like mine and Jose's story. And why we even wanted to do this podcast in the first place is, you know, we had that ability to just sit there and BS and actually talk about stuff that whether one of us was teaching the other or similar experiences we'd had and stuff like that. And so that's something that we enjoy doing, but secondary to that, we're both passionate about conservation and we're passionate about, you know, um, harvesting wildlife in a responsible way and saving, you know, this resource for future generations and stuff like that. So we kind of took those two, put them together and we're hoping to just have people on like yourself that um, are outfitters and that's your livelihood. So of course you're going to take care of the resource, you know, uh, exactly. we want to have people that are passionate about the same thing and we are both big supporters of the military. So uh, it's just kind of even better that, you know, you are active duty. So uh, you can, I mean, you, whenever you reached out, you fit perfectly into the type of people that we want to have on this podcast. So I was like, sweet, let's get this going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, Chris was like, Chris messaged me like right after he did an episode with y'all and he said, Hey, I threw a shout out, um, to you on this, on this podcast. You should go listen to it. And I said, a cool man. I said, you know what? I'm going to reach out and see if, if I can talk to them because I enjoy doing this kind of stuff and like sharing my story and like people hear my struggles or like, I even like listening to like y'all have struggles. Like everybody's got their own struggles about stuff. And I like to listen to that kind of stuff. And I just, 
I take it to heart, man. Yeah. I take it to heart. That's how I am. I'm kind of a real like empathetic type of person. Like, you know, there's some people that kind of feel sorry for other people and, you know, wish other people weren't in their shoes. And then there's people like me and it seems like probably you where it's like, man, like you envision yourself in those shoes and you kind of feel the pain that others are going through and feel the struggle instead of just saying, I'm sorry for you. It's like, you're putting yourself there and you're like, I just wish I could do something more to help. Or, you know, I see yeah. that they're going through stuff. What can I do? So, yeah. And that's, I definitely like to talk about, like when I do podcasts and stuff like that, I like to talk about that kind of stuff on how like just getting out in the outdoors and it don't have to be hunting. I mean, it could be hiking, it could be camping. I mean, it could be whatever. When you're going through stuff and you're just out in the outdoors, you're away from your phone, you're away from cell phone service, you're away from everything, just completely like changes your perspective on life. Oh, okay. for sure. So I guess to that end, I mean, you were, you were a passionate outdoorsman before joining the military, it sounds like. But since you've been in, I mean, I can only imagine how stressful that environment can be on a day-to-day -day basis. Do you find yourself kind of like immersing yourself more into the outdoors, more into the duck hunting and things like that and dog training, like as a way of, like, like I guess as an outlet to kind of take your way, take away from, uh, to get away from that, from that stress of, of military life? Yes, definitely. I mean, dude, my wife hates it. She really does because <laughs> I spend, I spend every Saturday and Sunday in the field, right? Uh, dove season, I spend almost I spend almost every other day, like Saturday, Sunday, and then we can go hunt doves Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon, Saturday, Sunday, do it all over again. And like, and I've figured that out, like that just being outside is just a, a big, like calming effect on me because it don't matter. You don't have to be shooting nothing, man. I could be laying in a lay down blind and just watching the sunrise. And that is like, I, I feel completely disconnected. I don't touch my phone, no nothing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I feel like nature itself, I mean, it's natural, it's nature. So like, I just feel like when you're outside camping, whether you're outside hiking, camping, kayaking, whatever the case may be, you're more in tune with nature. You're out there doing, you know, what years and years and years of humans did prior to civilization. Like, it's just a natural thing. And I feel like, you know, there are some people that don't ever get outdoors just because of where they live in the inner city or how they were raised or anything like that. And I feel like they're missing out on a lot because there's just something so natural and animalistic about being out in nature. And I think it's, it's just something that it resets your circadian clock. It just gets your body in rhythm. Um, and it helps with all sorts of ailments, just getting some fresh air, you know, not breathing in air that's polluted from the inner city and stuff like that. Like there's just so many benefits to getting outdoors and I wish people would get out there and do it more yeah. man i can tell you for a while the summertime the springtime and summertime i used to have a kayak and i would go out and just bass fish on a kayak and we have like rivers there's the brazos river like i don't know you grew up in texas or you're from texas yeah. right yeah. Uh, you you kind of know you're kind of in tune with the brazos river um we'd start at Possum Kingdom and we'd float from Possum Kingdom all the way down to almost like down to I-20. To I and that's like a two-day float, right? That's awesome. And you're just disconnected from everything and you just take in, like you just take in what God created in the world and just, 
it's t nature. You're just so in tune and everything. Like, you don't even have to fish. You could just kick your feet up on your kayak and just enjoy the ride. Yeah. Dude, we're wanting to do a devil's trip. And then sometime in the next couple of years or so. Yeah, we've been talking about it for so long, man. But I, I think we're finally going to just say screw it and just go for it. Cause do it, man. We do it. Yeah. yeah. I think we're probably going to do either a three day or a five day. And yeah. I mean, it's rough out there. You know, I've, I've seen quite a few videos on what to do, what not to do. Um, obviously, we're probably going to end up going with somebody that's either a current guide or has guided it before. Um, at least for the first trip, because DIY trips are extremely difficult. And oh, if I'm not mistaken, they actually dangerous, have man. To, yeah. 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 So um, we're excited to hopefully get that done. But trips like that are just, I mean, just, I want to go so bad. And then there's that other trip that people do from the San Marcos River to the coast. Yeah. Seven day trip. Don't, isn't there a, isn't awesome. there a race also? I think there is. Yeah, I, I think, think there's so. a race that they I, do. I can't remember from where. I don't know if it's from San Marcos or further up, but there's a race, a kayak and canoe race, whatever. First one to the coast. I I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called. I have a friend who did it. But yeah, dude, that's that's pretty sweet too. If I'm not mistaken, I think JT Van Zant did it. Really? And I think I think he made a YouTube video on it. Him and I want to say it was an Olympic uh, rower from like University of Texas or something like that. Hmm. Damn. Yeah, it's it's a good watch. If it is, I think it was that race. But uh, if it's not, either way, it's still a good watch. I'll find it and I'll put the link in the description for those of y'all that might want to watch it. But yeah, dude, he it was rough because it's nonstop. Like mm -hmm. they don't camp, and when they do camp, it's like pulling over because you're losing your mind, literally going insane. <laughs> it's and, like the it's it's like the gumball race, but for kayaks. If you know what the right. gumball race is, no, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, what the gumball it's nuts. Is. There's spots where he's uh he's like cussing and seeing crap that doesn't exist and they start hallucinating like dude it's intense the, the so the gumball race i'm also like i'm way into cars and race cars right just one thing i'm super into they do a race where they start in new york city and they got to make it all the way to la Holy and guys do it in like guys do it in like 20 the fastest is like 18 hours and 47 minutes oh damn like these dudes are like no stop to pee, no stop for food, no nothing but gas. Wow. And that's that's what that that race reminds me of that. It's just on a kayak. <laughs> Dude, that Could you imagine insane. that drive that I did, Jose, from Arkansas to Texas and then we went to New Mexico? Yeah. If I didn't get any sleep or if y'all rode that whole trip with me and all we did was stop for gas, <laughs> I would have oh, been miserable. I did California to Texas mm -hmm. 24 and a half hours. We fished all the way through. <laughs> we stopped. I mean, we stopped in Phoenix. The first stop was Phoenix. That was nine hours. We fished. Horrible time. Six o'clock in the morning, 109 degrees. Jesus. Horrible time. <laughs> Would not recommend yeah. that, especially June time. <laughs> right. And then um, we stopped in New Mexico at Blue. Have you ever seen? Have you ever been to the Blue Hole? No, but I've in heard of it. The Blue Hole in Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Great. Like. Catching smallmouth bass. If you love the smallmouth bass fish, that oh, is smallmouth fishing. Yeah, that is the place to go. It's all like a natural spring. Like it's it's like two hundred feet or deeper. Like that's the furthest it's been been uh, explored. Two hundred feet, and you could go deeper than that. Really? But they tell you like down like a hundred feet. They're like, do not go any further. Like turn back. But guys are still going for it. That's crazy. It's kind of like Jacob's Well over in Wimberley, and it's exactly it's yeah. exactly like Jacob's Well. 
That's awesome. I think Jacob's well, I don't think it's flowing out of the hole anymore. Stupid drought, but Jacob's well is freaking Dude, awesome. The drought's insane, bro. Like Texas needs, I mean, there's a lot of states that need water, but damn, we need water bad. It's, yeah, we got, we got like maybe less than an inch in two days. Jeez. That sucks. Luckily so, here in Arkansas, yeah. we get, you know, a decent amount of rain. Um, at least the location that I'm in, nice. you know, I'm in the tri lakes area to where we got all these lakes. And so they can regulate levels that way. Um, on top of that, we also have, they call them mountains. They're technically taller than hills, but they're pretty much hills. <laughs> um, and so we get runoff from those and whatnot. And there's Plateau. a lot of springs here. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's funny. There's, I want to say it's called Sugarloaf maybe, but it's actually the largest hill in the world. Um, it's one foot shy of being considered a mountain. And what, wait a minute, wait a minute. You completely <laughs> blew my mind there. So there is a height. Yes. I, w- I want to say it's like 3000 feet in elevation or something like that. And where it technically becomes from a hill to a mountain. And the peak of this is one foot shy of that. So this guy's like this, this hill is like legal midget mountain. <laughs> exactly. Like, which, exactly. So. It's like the four foot 11 human of mountains <laughs> or four foot nine. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, uh, it, it's right there one foot shy. And so it's known as the largest hill in the world. Somebody go just take like a, like a, a bag of sand, just dump it on. Top of it. <laughs> right. It's like now you're a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's Make it grow up. Like let it, let it hit maturity. And <laughs> <laughs> let it hit its dump trucks hurt. up there just dump <laughs> five five yards of dirt and be like all right we've done it <laughs> yeah we've done it we've done imagine being that guy you're like i turned this from a hill to a mountain <laughs> like who else can say i turned this from a hill to a mountain this guy <laughs> yeah, dude they'd have to name the mountain after him there's no there's no other way right there there's no okay so now that's on my list of things to check off in 2024 <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> new year new me guys <laughs> But yeah, so there's a a lot of places like that around here. And I think that's actually pretty close to the Oklahoma border. Um, It's like right on the Arkansas-Oklahoma border. So I want to say it's called Sugarloaf or something like that. I'll have to look it up. But um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, there's there's plenty of water here. So I'm not feeling it as bad as I did when I lived in San Marcos. Man, you got to have some killer speckle belly hunts if you're in Arkansas or snow hunts. Dude, I have never been waterfowl hunting. (laughs) <laughs> what yeah, yeah. I, I haven't been dude in god years man come on y'all right hey, i need to get with the hey, program hey y'all come down set y'all up with a good time it's a it's a great time i mean you can that, be i've had new shooters i've had experienced shooters even last man i got a phone call the 31st uh december 31st at like 9 p.m. from a phone number and I was like do you want to answer this I was like I'll answer it and there was this guy out of like Colorado and he's like I'm here with my son and we want to go shoot crane and geese like can we can we go tomorrow morning I was like well I guess his son was 11 years old this kid could shoot and I was like no way and he was like he's used to shooting a 28 gauge he's like but we don't have his 28 gauge here like do you have anything he can shoot I was like got my wife's 20 gauge is he fine with that he was like yeah he'll shoot that he'll be okay this kid is like he's small small frame kid mm-hmm. it just annihilating them <laughs> that's awesome 
Dude, it's crazy to see some of these kids. Like, I think I said on a previous episode that uh, I went to an Arkansas Game and Fish uh, skeet shooting competition that they were hosting for the high schools. And they had a little 3D target range and they were letting, you know, people shoot. And these kids were coming up eight, nine, 10 years old using these bows that, you know, they were just long bows or they were recurve bows. And so, of course, they didn't have sights or nothing and just freaking heart shot and all these damn 3D targets better than me. And I'm like, these kids are like eight years old. The bows as big as them. And they're just getting shots like crazy at, you know, 25 yards. I was like, this is freaking insane, man. These kids are this kid. (laughs) This kid was nuts. Like this kid was nuts. He's like, I never shot a 20 gauge and I never shot a 12 gauge. And I was like, well, what do you want to shoot? Because I got them both. And he was like, I'll shoot the 20 gauge first. And like, he shot it and was like, give me something bigger. I was like, <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> so, but you don't, you don't give that kid a, a three and a half inch double B round on a 12 gauge. <laughs> I mean, that'll kick a grown man on his ass. So, <laughs> so did he, so how'd the hunt go for him? How'd, how'd they feel about it when it was all said and done? I mean, they enjoyed it. We had, that was kind of an issue. It was super foggy, man. Like that was one of the first days where we had a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I say a lot of water. I mean, we had, um, we had humidity and fog and <laughs> dude, we were not seeing crane. There is something about me in a lay down blind and not seeing crane till they're five feet on top of you in the fog and all you see is a silhouette of just big old cupped up wings like and feet down and they're five feet in front of you about to land on top of the decoys or land on top of the blinds because they can't see you god that's so awesome but that sounds like a freaking blast though so you're talking about different gauges of guns (laughs) i remember one time i have a buddy who had a 10 gauge long tom goose gun a guy last saturday out 36 inch barrel dude those things kick like a freaking mule. He wouldn't let me shoot it. I wanted to shoot it. Dude, it was a bolt action. I thought it was a rifle when I first saw it, dude, because it was bolt action mm-hmm. and it had a 36 inch barrel. He was shooting three and a half BB 10 gauge. I'm like, damn. what are you trying to knock a bird a mile out of the air? Freaking howitzer, it, I, man. I don't want nothing to walk away from this. <laughs> <laughs> so when I shot mine, we were dove hunting. <laughs> did you even have bird left <laughs> no no i was only able to hit one bird and there was nothing left it was just a poop of feathers um but my buddy brought it out because it was i think it was his grandfather's and he brought it out he's like you ever seen one of these and i was like you know it's like freaking as tall as he is i was like dude what the hell is that thing and he's like it's my my granddaddy's long tom and i was like all right and i shot it freaking about knocked me on my ass but hit a dove with it there wasn't nothing left <laughs> dude i'm telling you this dude like was that one bolt action or was it pump it was Mm. I think it was a pump, if I'm not mistaken. This one that I sh- this one that I wanted to shoot, the kid, the guy wouldn't let me shoot. Older gentleman, I think he was in his seventies. This thing was bolt action. That's freaking. And nuts. I thought he had a rifle on him because I had to ask him because it was on the ground. I was like, "What caliber is that?" He was like, "It's a ten gauge." <laughs> Damn, that's freaking. Hey, a uh, legal just weird fact. Legal, the biggest legal shotgun round you can shoot in Texas for, or I think in the whole fed in the whole Northern United States or the whole, whole Northern America really is 10 gauge for really? any military bird. Hmm. Good to know. Glad I didn't break any laws. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest round or the biggest gauge I ever shot was a 
with a 12 gauge three and a half inch turkey load out of a out of, out of a Benelli pump. That thing's got some kick, man. Dude, I do it all the time. Oh, I can't. And imagine. I've had one. I remember being 13 years old, and I went turkey hunting. And my buddy goes, "Here you go, turkey round, right? <laughs> three and a half inch turkey round out of a Benelli." out of a turkey choke i mean them things are tight it'll yeah. throw it'll it's like it's gonna punch that bird dude i remember just leaning there like i was like kind of kneeling to, leaning around a tree and i went to pull the trigger and i did and it knocked me backwards but be me me being me i was 13 years old i weighed a buck like a buck five and it must have been a funny sight for anybody else that would have saw that. <laughs> oh, dude, it'll wake you up, man. That was the hardest kick I think I've ever taken. I was like, Jesus. Sneak that in a in a waterfowl mode bag and see what somebody does. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a funny prank. <laughs> yeah. Like my buddy, dude. I I told I told this I told this story on the on the last podcast with Chris, but I had a buddy. We were duck hunting one time out in, uh, on the Texas coast. And the birds started flying. The shooting was getting hot and it was, it was low light, but it was still shooting light, legal shooting light. And this guy, he, I just see him from, cause I already got my bird. So I was, I wasn't shooting anymore, but I, I saw him reach into his bag. He wasn't looking at what he was reaching for. He just blind reached into his bag and he loaded his shells and there was a, a, a dove, I think it was a redhead flying by and he just goes, boom, big old loud blast. We all looked at him. And he looked all wide-eyed at us. He goes, holy shit, guys. I think that was a slug. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that that has got to be a shock. Or if you hit that bird, there ain't nothing left of that bird. It's like throwing a coat. It's like throwing a <laughs> Dr. Pepper can at a bird, man. God, I, I freaking love bird hunting. I wish I would do a lot more duck hunting. I wish I would actually get out there and do it. I used Me and Jose used to do a lot of public land dove hunting back in the day. Yeah, I miss going bird hunting. If I lived in Arkansas, that's all I would do. Yeah. Duck hunt. Well, other than the public land duck hunt in Arkansas is wild now, crazy. Um, yeah. But I would, I would so goose hunt, like anything else hunt. I got so addicted to big birds, man. So you are big into waterfowl and stuff like that. Is there, and I know there's a lot of dudes who try and, and like they have like a hit list of different water. Like some guys will try and get all the species, like the eiders. I'll go up to Alaska, get the stuff up there, whatever. Is there like a, a dream hunt you want to go or like a, a bird that you really just want to bag? Dude, okay. I'm not picky. I'm really not picky. Um, I did my dream hunt. Uh, it did. It, I didn't do it guided or nothing. I actually was running a guide that day. And this it was an older gentleman was with me and he wanted me to shoot with him. Because he was like, I don't know how well I can shoot. Can you shoot with me? I was like, cool. So it's a two man, two man hunt now. And most of the time I'll either ask my, my clients like, Hey, y'all want me to shoot with you? Y'all don't want me to shoot. Uh, if I don't shoot, I mean, we could be done quicker, but if I do shoot, like we could be out here a little bit longer. So I did, I did it and shot with this guy. And are you familiar with a teal trifecta? The green wing, blue wing and cinnamon. Yeah. Yeah, I did it one day. Nice, dude. That's I did it one awesome. day. Are we about to see some mounts? I had to get it mounted. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty sweet. That is, oh, yeah, man, that's badass. I had to get it mounted. I uh, I, I did it one day. 
I did a cinnamon. Man, I never shot a cinnamon. I grew up in the Pacific Flyway, and I never shot a cinnamon. And uh, I never shot a cinnamon, and it was it was weird. So we had this little tank in a, it was a town called Funston, just uh, northwest of, of Abilene. And a little, little tiny town. And we found this tank that had birds on it. Well, it would keep birds on it like crazy. And we had green, we had green wing teal in the morning and it was still kind of warm and it was late season, like last two days of the season, three week, three years ago, three or four years ago, I guess. Now, I don't know. I got the date written on the back of the, the mountain, <laughs> but, um, we, we shot green wing teal in the morning and then I had some birds come in right after, right after first light, like after we shot those green wings, um, it was two blue wing teal. We shot those. And then I saw another, probably back to back to back. There was a gadwall and another bird. And I couldn't see that back bird. I couldn't see it. And my, the guy that was with me dropped the gadwall and I shot the back bird and it was a cinnamon teal. Well, once it hit the water, I'm like, dude, that's a cinnamon. I was like, I got to get it mounted. Like I got to get it mounted. So I run out there to go get it and it's not dead. <laughs> it's flapping around. This gun? thing, I couldn't because I wanted to mount it. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. This was the bad idea. No dog at this time, right? Not a dog <laughs> at this time. Bad idea. This bird took off out of the tank, not flying, running because I wounded <laughs> one of its wings. And oh, it took off God. over the levee and just kept booking it, running. I chased it in waders for probably like five to 600 yards. <laughs> and I finally was walking around. I was like, dude, I give up. Like, I was like, this is it. Like, I just completely busted my, my teal trifecta mount. I can't find this bird. Well, I'm walking. And are y'all familiar with mesquite trees? Oh, yeah. 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 It was curled up in a mesquite tree. <laughs> really? No it was flapping at me. And I was like, hey, there it is. <laughs> dude, that, that's pretty so, awesome. Yeah, you, you kind of had to stick your hand in there and, <laughs> and the pokiness and grab them. I freaking them and, hate um, mesquite trees. Dude, deathly allergic to them. Deathly really? allergic. Yeah. To just the thorns or the meat itself? Like, can you eat mesquite-smoked meats? Nope. Dude, mm -mm. that's I can't even sit next to a fire that they're burning mesquite. And in West Texas, sucks because everyone will have, like, Oh, we're going to go have a fire tonight. I'm like, are y'all burning mesquite or are y'all burning cedar? What, what are y'all burning? Oh, we're burning mesquite. Can't show. Can't come. Holy cow. That freaking sucks. Like, I will swell up. Like, can't breathe. It it sounds like sounds like and looks like I have COVID, but I really don't. I'm just allergic to the mesquite. <laughs> That's insane. Dude, that freaking sucks. Dude, Texas is like the worst like I'll go place into for NFL you to be, bro. Talk. <laughs> West Texas at that. <laughs> no, South Texas. Worst place. Yeah. So where you're at, is that considered the central flyway? Yes. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. The central flyway is really like in the southern states, it's like halfway through New Mexico to the east side of Texas. And then Louisiana and Mississippi are in the Mississippi flyway. Yeah. I think Stuttgart, the main area over here in, in uh, east Arkansas is part of the Mississippi flyway. Yeah. So. 
That's freaking awesome. So do you know much about the difference of, of species from yes. the different flyways? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't so, know hardly anything about any of that. So like the Pacific flyway, you'll shoot a lot of like pintails, uh, cinnamon teals. Um, the Pacific flyway and the central flyway are almost the same. Okay. Uh, almost the same. Mild, mild differences. Um but the Mississippi, I guess really the the Pacific to the Mississippi are about the same. But when you get into the Mississippi, you're not going to shoot like those cinnamon teals. You're not going to shoot, um, you're not going to shoot a lot of that kind of stuff um, until you get down to like the swamps of Louisiana. I see. And then... The Atlantic Flyway, I mean, dude, there's black ducks. There's um, there's brants. I really want to shoot a brant. That is one other thing I really want to do, like a, a, a goose brant. I uh, don't know if you've ever seen those. Looks like a weird hybrid of like a snow goose and a, and a blue goose. It's weird. It's odd. Um, but they did shoot one in Amarillo a couple weeks ago. Really? The only one that's ever shot in Texas. Wow. That's crazy. Dude, that's a cool little title to so, have for whoever shot that thing. Right. Oh, if you all know who Cadillac Creek Outfitters is. Oh, no, I, I don't know. Like they, I've never heard of them. One of the biggest outfitters in Texas. Yeah, they did it. Nice. I'll have to look it up. I'm sure they have it on their socials probably. Oh, it's everywhere on their socials. <laughs> yeah. I'm have to kill yeah. That's pretty interesting. And that's one thing that's so fascinating to me, man. With with I mean, birds in general, like even people who don't hunt, they just like to bird. They get super excited whenever there's a bird who's not really supposed to be in a specific area is there. They'll travel a long ways to go and get it. But what's cool about like duck hunting and stuff, like, I mean, yeah, you get those like weird scenarios where you get a bird from that's not really supposed to be there. That's exciting. But you also get a lot of really cool hybrids like those, what are they called? Storm widgeons or something like that. Storm widgeons. Yeah. Um, I know some people, I haven't really duck hunted this year, to be honest, because everybody wants to go big bird hunt. Um, there's been a lot of storm widgeons shot this year. Really? Dude, yeah. those things are oh. awesome looking. What else do they call them? Cotton tops? What is a storm widgeon? It is, a storm widgeon has a lot more white in their head than they do green. Mm-hmm. Um, storm, like, normal widgeon have a lot of green up towards the base of the neck coming up all the way to the eye. Well, the um, the storm widgeon has more white on the base of the neck all the way up. And I guess there's some like mythical story about if there's big storms in the Pacific flyway, you're going to get more storm widgeon that were born than normal widgeon, so on and so forth. I don't know it. I'm, I, there's a lot of guys, I've been told it, but I don't know how much I really believe of that either. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I see. So, speaking of geese, what's the deal with Canadian geese? Do they not migrate like most geese? Because I swear, I see them year-round here in Hot Springs. I've never seen so many Canadian geese in my life. It's insane. They're like dogs here. You're going to get those, what they call, um, local birds, right? Man, we get the same thing in Abilene. We have Canadian geese that just, they've planted, and they're done. They're just going to sit here. It's like... um, if you ever go down to Florida, go down to South Florida, there is 
sandhill crane that roam the streets. You can't <laughs> shoot them. Yeah, can't shoot them. Federally protected. They just roam the streets. Wow. It's they're just they just migrated there and they never left. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I kind of like this place. I'm just gonna stay. Yeah, yeah. I think I thought, hey, I mean, dude, I'm at the zoo pond, like. Mary and all her kids come and feed me bread every other day. So why am I going to leave? Like, I'm going to go f- travel south and go down to a rice field and eat some rice, but get shot at? Mm-mm. Doesn't sound good to me. I'm just going to sit here and eat this bread every day. Right. <laughs> those birds are tired. I bet those are some fat birds, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have actually a mallard that's on my wall. Um, kind of a, a funny story, but um, he wasn't a migrator either. If you look at his feet, their their feet the feet color kind of show if they're migrators or not. Um, more yellow feet. Um, they're not really migrators. More orange feet. They're more migrators. Um, I shot a uh, a mallard. I'm actually looking at it. It's, he was 15 pounds. I'm pretty sure it came out of the zoo, man. <laughs> Holy crap! That is a massive, That's a freaking bird, huge bro. duck. <laughs> I can I can show it to you. I mean, my mountain is right there. Yeah, yeah dude, let's yeah, see let it. see it. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he's he's Mondo. <laughs> That's Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Big Kevin. Dude. Dude, he's freaking thick. <laughs> Kevin's Kevin's massive, dude. <laughs> Kevin Kevin's Kevin's a hoss. But I'm pretty sure Kevin came out of the zoo. But I'm Seems likely. I, there's, no to, there's no way to tell. There's no way to tell. That's, That's crazy. Insane. So with you being a guide, uh, how many birds do you see that are banded? Dude, we shot a banded speckle belly this year. For the first year being a guide, uh, actually like being an actual guide service, um, we shot one this year. It was so it was a weird setup, dude. We were on a crane hunt, and like I was running crane socks, and we were in like we were west of here, probably thirty five minutes west, and we had been watching this feed that is. Just full of speckle bellies and snows off to the left and where we were at, we were in a crane feed and they were just in it like crazy. And, um, they were in this like crazy. Well, we got buzzed by about eight to 10 speckle bellies. And I was watching them when you're do West Texas, you can watch birds for two and a half miles coming in and you're like, they're going to be here any minute. They're going to be here any minute. And you're like, <laughs> but they're three miles away from you. <laughs> so, I mean, dude, we had, we had a group of probably eight, eight to ten specks come in, and um, we were doing a hunt for the hoot camo guys out of uh, DFW. They actually hooked us up. Real cool guys. Uh, I told them I was like, "Yeah, let's go shoot crane, and uh, if we get any geese, we get any geese." And we got those those eight to ten that came over us. They had four shooters. And I was just running it, and this bird just came, zoomed by us, whipped around the crane decoys. It was just, dude, it was a, it was a traffic shot. Like we were shooting traffic birds, pass, passers, and they shot into this group of eight, four shooters. They're like, oh, we had never shot geese. We're really not very good at shooting birds. They drop one bird, and what is the luck that it's banded? banded. <laughs> yeah, one bird, man. The one bird is banded, and then. We go out three days later on another feed, and we shoot a seven-man limit of speckle bellies and not a single man. <laughs> that's crazy. That's just how it goes, I guess. That's that's how it goes. <laughs> I mean, the dudes are like, 
they were all pumped. They were so pumped. They're like, yeah, banded. So they're like, we're going straight to the taxidermist. <laughs> so, awesome. so how, I wonder how that would work if it's a community bird. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going <laughs> to ask. Whenever one's shot, like, is there some fighting? Like, all right, like who's going to go with the, with the, with the banded bird. So normally if this happens and we've come into situations like that, where you shoot rare birds, uh, if you got five guys, right, five guys in the blind and you got, you pick four shells that are all the same color and the fifth shell will be a different color and I'll put them in my hat, shake them up and then put it up above their head and they'll reach in. Oh, I pulled a heavy steel beige shell. I pulled a heavy steel beige shell, right? Whoever pulls that blue, red, black shell, whatever is that different color, that's who's going home with it. I mean, it's it's only fair, right? It's kind of yeah, like yeah. playing rock, paper, scissors, but with five guys. I like that. Right. That's pretty dope. It's almost like drawing straws. Yeah. Dude, that, that reminds me of a – I forgot about this, man. In middle school, I had, a, I had a teacher. He used to love to go hunting. He had gone to South Dakota for a pheasant hunt, I think. And he, and he got one of them, like, made into – I don't even know, man, like a, like a basket or a hat, right? Like you could reach your hand in there. So we had to yeah. draw project. We had to draw numbers for this project and we had to reach our hand into the pheasants <laughs> and draw them out. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's awesome. Oh man. That's so that's- funny. Yeah. I've dude, always that's- wondered, I was like, how do they even go about? Because, you know, I was talking to Chris when he said he was out there, you know, on a sandhill crane hunt. He said it was kind of a community bird. And, and I think he said that, that they let the youngest take it. But I was yeah, like, that's, I mean, that's obviously, yeah, that's, that's being, you know, the sportsman about it. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, what happens if it's four friends? Like, you're not going to be like, Oh, you're the younger one. You know, if you're all 30 years old. So I was always wondering, I, was like, I mean, I don't know how. <laughs> if you get, if you get some, if you get some shooters and these dudes are some shooters, like that won't happen to you. But like, if you do shoot like a band, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Like, because if you, if you shoot into a group of, I don't know. 30 something specs and seven of them fall. Yeah. How you going to know who shot that it. bird? Who knew exactly. exactly where that bird was? Like, cause you know, you can be shooting at the bird front left and then I can be shooting at the bird front, right? So on and so forth. But yet you got 10 other guys or whoever many in the middle, they're all shooting at this group of birds too. So yep. who really knows what they're shooting? Yeah, exactly. So, I got a cat that's trying to open the cabinet. Stop, kid. Go. <laughs> I have fat orange cats. So. so you got cats and dogs, huh? I got both. So that brings me to the question I wanted to ask you. So that 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 little conundrum with the cinnamon teal, is that what kind of inspired you to try and get into dogs and dog training? Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, that That was, do dogs make your life so much easier? Um, so much, so much easier. I mean, we've had, I have one right now. I have a Chesapeake that is, uh, he's kind of more of my dove dog. He won't get anything. He'll go after duck, hates the water, right? (laughs) Hates the water. So I'll take him out dove hunting. That's what, that's about all he's really good for. Um, I had a yellow lab, that I started to raise as a, as a gun dog. And he was, Oh man, I think he was seven months. Yeah. He was about to be six months old. I mean, we had gone through a lot of extensive training and we had just moved on base and he got parvo. 
And he had all his yeah. vaccines and everything. Passed away apart about like six months. Damn. damn and then sucks. now, now I've been blessed to, um, I've been blessed to be chosen to get a, uh, a wild rose kennels dog. Um, nobody knows this. Y'all are the first to hear about this. Actually, <laughs> uh, oh, Breaking man, news. Breaking. Yeah. So wild rose kennels is one of the most prestigious, the, the most prestigious hunting labs in the world. I mean, their dogs are on the cover of Perina bags. Um, if you get the Ducks Unlimited magazine, uh, that most of those dogs are on the cover of the Ducks Unlimited magazines. Um, if you watch college football, uh, the Mississippi State uh, tea fetcher dog is a wild rose kennel dog. Um, but I've been I've been gifted, not gifted, really, but. Um, blessed to have a good friend of mine that actually came out and hunted with us during dove season and he had two of them and him and I hit it off really good friends now and he was like dude I got this yellow lab pup um and he's like I just saw what happened to yours um he can be yours and like if you don't have friends that are trainers in them or work for wild rose dude that waits like four years for a dog really wow yeah but Crazy. They're also outrageously priced. Yeah. I mean, the price of a car. Oh, Jeez. that's insane. Yeah. Like, and that comes trained to your door. Yeah. So when are you expecting yeah. to get this dog? Uh, I'll get him. He will be released to me in March. Oh, uh, nice. so soon. Yeah. I'm not going to pick him up till... May time frame probably. I want to move out of my house first. I live in base housing, so when you have a dog of that genetics, um, I'm not putting him anywhere near a house that quite possibly has parvo or my neighbor's yards have parvo. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I mean, I would rather wait. Um, the guy that's training them right now, that guy, he is very like adamant about do not take this dog to this house um and he's willing he's willing to work with me and be like i will pick this dog up like you can pick this dog up once you move yeah so that's awesome yeah i think if i had to take a choice of a breed of dog that i would want is i would probably want a nova scotia duck toller you ever seen those dogs Yes, I have. Dude, they are freaking awesome. They're athletic as hell. They're kind of smaller. Um, I normally like big dogs, like 100-pound-plus dogs. But if I were to yeah. get a sportsman dog, a duck teller would be the one that I'd do because they are extremely obedient, extremely intelligent, but they are pricey. Even if you get an untrained one, you're still looking at five grand just for a freaking dog. That's Man, awesome. I tell you, I've I've hunted over – I have clients, clients ask me, can we bring our dogs? Can we bring our dogs? Can we bring our dogs? And I have to tell them like, yeah, but if your dog flares birds, it's either A, it's your fault and you got to go put that dog up or you have to be willing to take the the hits on that, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I've hunted over a lot of things this year. Uh, this year I've hunted over American Labs. I've hunted over English Labs. I've hunted over Poodle Pointers. Weird. 
Interesting. I've hunted over uh, odd, very odd dogs. Um, Chesapoos, because that's what I have. A Chesapeake Bay Retriever Poodle. I've hunted over Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. Uh, German Shorthairs, English Shorthairs, um, Vislas. I like Man, what else have I hunted over this year? Weimaraners? I haven't hunted over a Weimaraner yet this year. Tickles. Oh, yeah, and Tickles. Go ahead and look at what a tickle is. It's a, uh, it's a, it looks like a weenie dog, but fatter, shorter, and from Germany. Interesting. Yeah. Like a corgi, but smaller? <laughs> yeah, but a wiener dog. That's weird. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, they're more of a tracking dog, but I've hunted over some decent amount of dogs. So. That's awesome. I used to have a GSP chocolate lab mix and she was, we, she was a rescue and we actually got her because the girl that I was dating at the time, the, the guy that lived behind one of her friends had this dog chained up as a young pup and would be out there in the middle of summer in Texas with no water, no food. And he'd go out there if the dog was whining and start kicking it and throwing it around. So this mm. girl worked for Petco. And so she I hate climbed people over like the that. Fence. Same, same. And then, so this girl climbed over the fence, took the dog and took it to work. And the girl I was dating at the time worked at Petco and she asked if I wanted it. I said, absolutely. And her name was Zoe and she was scarred because of it. She wouldn't even come near me for the six months we had her. She was terrified of men. But after that six months of me working with her and talking with her, that dog was glued to my side. Did you ever meet Zoe, Jose? I think I did, yeah. Dude, she was an amazing dog. If I told her to get up on top of something, she wouldn't stop until she got on top of it. She was extremely obedient and I remember when she was probably two years old, I got a Catahoula pup mm -hmm. and uh, Zoe would go literally everywhere with me. And we go to the San Marcos River all the time down to a place called Don's Fish Camp and we go snorkeling and finding all sorts of stuff. And uh, I left the dogs down on the beach and we had a group of friends that were all hanging out down there. And me and one of my buddies decided we were going to swim upstream and go do some snorkeling, try to find sunglasses, phones, whatever else. And Zoe would always follow me everywhere. And so... But if I told her to stay, she would stay. And so I told her, I said, Zoe, stay. And at this point, my other dog, the Catahoula, his name was D.O.G. He was like, I don't know, maybe five, six months old. And um, so I'm swimming upstream and I get, I'm tired. I'm probably about a half mile up by this point. And I get tired and I go and I go to the bank and I'm sitting there and I just feel a dog jump on my back. And I know that I had told Zoe to stay there. And I would have never thought D.O.G. would have came because he was just still a little pup. And I turn around and it's D.O.G. And this dog swam half a mile upstream against the current at five months old, just keeping up with me this whole time. And I had no clue. And uh, I was like, at this point, I knew that that dog needs to be a duck dog. But I never went duck hunting. He, he was my dove dog. He was a good retriever. Uh, first time I took him, we limited it out in like two hours. And he was nine months old and he retrieved every single bird. There's actually been years that he got a bird before I did. <laughs> we went out to public land in, uh, where were we at? I'll say New Braunfels. Um, think so. Yeah, I think we're in New Braunfels and we're out public land dove hunting and birds were flying sky high. I mean, we just could not get any birds and I hadn't even shot that day. And out of nowhere, Dioji just took off behind me and I was like, where's he going? And I turned around and he jumps at like in the air and catches this dove midair. I guess somebody had shot it and it had come. And when he started chasing, it went to fly. He jumped and caught it midair and retrieved it and brought it to me. And I was like, how the hell did my dog get a bird before I did? And I'm using a gun and he doesn't even have opposable thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so my uh, Mike Chesapoo did that actually uh, during dove season this year. We had um, we had a bird do that, and it landed like I want to say twenty five to thirty yards out, and he took off running after it, and they missed it. It just landed. Well, oh, wow. my Chesapoo took off after it, and this bird like by the time my dog got, I don't know. 20 yards to it about five feet from it this dog took off or this bird took off straight in the air and my dog jumped after it and just what that's just it was the funniest thing i had never seen this dog do this and (laughs) like it was such a funny funny like the funniest thing and everyone's like did your dog just catch that bird out of midair and i said yeah and they're like how'd you train that i was like I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of things I trained my dog to do, but that was not one of them. (laughs) No, I did not train him how to do that. I wish if I could, I would, but I can't. (laughs) Yep. I don't think you can train that other than like maybe like throwing a Frisbee and they like run up and grab the Frisbee, but. Yeah. Dude, I used to do so much work with my, I miss my dog. I don't have him anymore. Uh, I got divorced and had to move into an apartment. Couldn't take him to an apartment. And uh, so I let one of my buddies keep him. And then he sold his house, moved in with his parents, and couldn't take the dog. So he ended up giving the dog away. Um, Story of my life. I've been there. sucks. But his name was D.O.G. He was a Catahoula. And that dog was stupid intelligent. So uh, (laughs) he was easy to to bird, you know, train for birds. Um, First year I took him out. Like I said, he was like six, nine months, something like that. And I took one of the birds, kept it in the freezer. And just randomly I would go and I'd keep him in the house. And I'd go hide it somewhere in the backyard. And I'd open the door and say, D.O.G., go find the bird. And he'd sniff it out. He can go find the bird. Um, and then I would also work with him. I'd set him up because we had this, like, pedestal in the backyard where we'd keep all our barbecue, like, charcoal. Oh, a place board. Kind of like a place board, yeah. It was very similar to a place board, yeah. But it was just bricks with um, a piece of uh, countertop on it from where they put the sink yeah. in. And so he would just sit up there, and I would throw the bird, and he'd sit there. And I'd tell him, go get it. And he'd take off for it. And so I trained him that way. Um, but he was always out in the backyard and then we had a storm come through and knock down one side of our fence. And I worked out, I was working in Austin at the time, but I lived in in Kyle. And, um, so I started keeping him inside the house. And, uh, then the other dog that my roommate's dog started tearing stuff up. So we kept all the dogs in the back, but we'd tie them up on a little uh, chain thing. And we had some bad weather coming in and my dog had never been kennel trained. He was probably a year and a half at this time. And um, I wasn't going to leave him outside in a thunderstorm on a metal stake. So I went no, 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 to no. PetSmart. I got a crate, brought it inside the house. And I was like, all right, let's, this is the night before. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and train him. And so I left the door open on the crate. I put a treat in there and he went and got it, came. I was sitting on the couch across the room. And uh, I said, all right. I said, DLG, go in the kennel. And he, he didn't know what to do. So I put the treat in there. And I said, go in the kennel. He went to get the treat. And I patted him on the head. I said, good boy. And then I just went upstairs and left him there. And then I come back down. He's still in the kennel. So I gave him another treat. Said, good boy. And I said, door was wide open. Yep. Door was open. And when I come back, so like he comes out and then I look at him, I said, go to the kennel. And he just goes in the kennel like that quick, two tries. I was like, damn, like that was the easiest that I thought that I would ever train anything. (laughs) Man, you had, that dog had to be bred. I'm telling you, like everybody would have wanted out of that hunting line everybody would have wanted out of that breeding line if it was that easy Dude, like he was ridiculously I've, I've had, smart i've i mean my other yellow lab that we had to put down like i started training him at 10 weeks old 
and not even 10 weeks, probably eight weeks old. And like day two after I got him, right? And ridiculously smart. Ridiculously smart. Too smart for his own good. But, but, mischievous. I mean, (laughs) so, so I built a place, I built a place board, right? I built a place board and, um, because me, I'm kind of a cheap ass sometimes, right? <laughs> like kind of like how everybody is. Right. Um, instead of buying one of these Caddo place boards that are 80 bucks, go over to Lowe's and go buy yourself some two by fours and a piece of plywood for yep. $15 and build yourself a place board. And uh, I built one and I was like, hey, his name was Newt, like water and land, right? Yeah. Newt place he'd place new place. He'd place new place. He'd place. Right. Finally, like I'm in the kitchen and I'll be in the, I'll be in the kitchen cooking something and be like, Hey, new place. And he'll run, he'll run and place on his place board. Well, this time I'm like, Hey, new place. What does he do? Jumps up on the kitchen, on the kitchen chair, like on the <laughs> dining room chair and then place on the kitchen table. Cause it looked just like the place board. It was just taller. <laughs> and he That's just sat hilarious. there like dad am i gonna get a treat like what am i getting here <laughs> yeah i did exact i mean you can't get mad right he was a, yeah i think that at that week he was at that age he was like a yeah i think he was 10 weeks old he was already placing That's and awesome. dude he was already like like he was already on if i were to show you like i mean i don't know how well of a of a yeah, there. That that's him placing on the kitchen table because I had to take a picture of, it of how how it was. That's adorable. Yeah, like. Yeah, he'd do it on the counter. Like he would do it on the counter, man. He would do it anywhere. You tell the dog to place, and like, all right. Yeah, at, yeah, dude. At, at six at six months old, he was jumping normal counter height, like trying to steal pizza off the counter, like straight up on the counter, done deal. Thinking he was that's, a cat. That's wow. freaking hilarious. Yeah, my dog, he was he was smart like that too. And and I probably made him do a lot more than what most sportsmen's dogs do. He knew all the stupid tricks. Like he would play dead and like I'd go pow pow and he'd fall over. And, but one thing that amazed me about <laughs> him is he learned his left and right like extremely fast. And so back at the time, I used to ride rollerblades a lot and he would pull me. And it got to a point yeah. where if I didn't say nothing, he would continue straight across the street. But if we came to an intersection and I said left, he would go left or he'd go right. If I said right, like he learned his left and right super quick. I actually trained him to save me. So you kind of taught, like you kind of, you kind of taught him how to cast, but you didn't use hand signals. Yeah. Like you're like, yeah. It was all vocal. Hey, full, like, like left, exactly. right. Like, but yet you would just, <laughs> dude, that's amazing. Yeah. Like I, I actually taught him how to save me if I was drowning too. So I used to live real close to the Blanco river. And so we'd go to the river all the time. And I was like, he used to swim out to me. And anytime I was out in the water, if I got deep, like real deep, cause Catahoulas are known for yipping, like if they're training coons and stuff like that. And so every time yep. I get too deep, he would yip. And it was kind of strange. I was like, cause he had a real deep bark, but then he would have that real high pitch yip. And so if I got too deep, he would yip and like stand there and look at me and his ears would perk up and he seemed real anxious. And so one day I just decided to try out, you know, act like I was floating and see what he did. And he sprinted out to me and just swam circles around me. And so the first time I grabbed his tail, he like freaked out, like what's going on. And then I told him, you know, 
go to the go to the bank and so he started swimming that way and i grabbed his tail and he kind of towed me and i did that repetitively and it got to a point to where if i was out in the water and i went face down he would swim around me till i grabbed his tail and the second i grabbed his tail he'd start swimming to the bank like dog was freaking ridiculously yeah he was ridiculously intelligent yeah dude that dog was something else you got you got so lucky with him i wish you still had that dog because so, i'd like to see dude he would have made a great duck dog and he had these freaking crazy webbed feet so he could mm-hmm. swim so fast in the water it was nuts i did i guess it's a catahoula thing but catahoula have like their their webbing between their toes actually extends to this like almost to like the second knuckle of like our fingers equivalent so they have a little bit more webbing in their feet dude it's nuts so i know labs have webbing um i only know labs have web feet um a couple other water dogs like what are they portuguese water dogs or yeah, whatever they call it yeah yeah they have they have them um and chesapeake bay retrievers have web feet i didn't know catahoulas had web feet yeah he, he did and that's one thing is i looked at his feet whenever he was swimming upstream that one time that first time and i was like how is he swimming so fast and i looked and he used to because he actually had long fur so his body fur wasn't super long but his tail and like his underbelly was extremely long and then he had these long tufts from his elbows to his paws and so when i'd trim his hair in the summertime i'd do what they call a carve out where i'd shave his belly and stuff like that Mm -hmm. because he was black and gray but he had a lot more black on him he can get hot so i'd do a carve out shave like his armpits and the underside of his legs and then his belly and i was trimming up his paws and his fur was like extremely long coming between the pads of his paws and so i used to have to spread his toes and and trim it with scissors and his feet were just pretty much webbed it was nuts i had never seen that i would have never pictured a catahoula's (laughs) toes to be webbed but are you sure he was full catahoula like was he not lab (laughs) i don't think he had lab in him i think his mom is actually a pit if i'm not mistaken i'd have to ask my buddy dalen um, cause I got it from him and his daddy. So his name was Dioji because his original name was Bubba Jr. Cause he looked just like his daddy. His daddy was Bubba. Um, but yeah. I called him BJ for short and you know, people didn't really like me going around yelling BJ all the time. So <laughs> Dioji would be a little bit better name for him. But, um, I know for a fact, Bubba was a hundred percent, uh, Catahoula, but if I'm not mistaken, cause this was years ago, I, I want to say the mom was, uh, like a brindle colored pit. So it's possible she was a pit lab. Um, but I'm pretty sure she was pit, just pit. If she was pit lab, you got one of those weird, like followed second generation genetics of. Right. But man, that's yeah, impressive. He was, he was a freaking amazing dog. I loved that dog. That's impressive. So man. do you train dogs yourself? Cause you said you worked with, with uh, newt, right? So when you train a dog, I got lucky with DOG cause he learned everything so quick, but a lot of other dogs that I've tried to train, it gets to a point to where I don't know if I'm doing the proper, you know, rewarding, but I've noticed that a lot of the dogs that I've trained in the past, they don't seem as happy. Like you see dogs doing dog competitions. They're extremely obedient, but they're happy to do it. How do you make a dog obedient without it seeming like it's sad? You know what I mean? You got to make it fun. You have to make it fun. I see. Um, so... You could go out there and it's just like me and you, right? You could, we could go out there and do, we could go run miles upon miles upon miles for training for a marathon, right? (laughs) And, you know, we're going to get burnt out, right? 
we're going to go get burnt out. But say, hey, we go do it, but we got nine guys that do it, and we do it as like Indian run style, right? It makes it funner because now we don't know. We didn't realize that we ran 10 miles, right? So you just, you got to make it fun. I mean, let me, so I took every opportunity that I did to train Newt when I did, right? So our last training, one of our last training sessions was one of the funniest ones that had ever happened to me in a training session with a dog. So it was Halloween night. Uh, it was Halloween night. And this is about right about two days later, he got really sick. But um, yeah, so this was right before. I mean, I, I would train him like every other day, really, because he was still a pup. He was still kind of getting there. So about it was Halloween night and I took the place board out and I put it in the front yard. And we had kids come in and trick or treating, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you live on base and you live in base housing, like you will get everybody and their mother will come to your house. <laughs> I mean, you'll have, you will run out of candy before you run out of kids. Like I had, I mean, I think we spent $50 in candy, mm, probably more than 160. Oh, yeah. My wife said $160 <laughs> in candy and we had none left. You right. said 50. Yeah. Like I think my original was like, I gave her $20 and I was like, Hey, go get candy. Right. No, no. <laughs> and, and she was like, no, 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 we need way more than that. Well, so I took every opportunity I could to train this dog. So I was like, Hey, we're going to have trick or treaters. This is perfect. Put this dog on place board and just let him do his, like, let's just train place all night. Yeah. Like we're just going to take, we're just going to do what we need to do. So stuck him on place. Like I tell you, this dog was the most mischievous dog I've ever had, dude. So these kids would come up to me, and uh, I'd be handing them candy, right? Well, he looks at me, and he gives me this weird look. I'm like, why is he giving me this weird look? Like I've seen this dog, like he's giving me a look. I'm like, hey, drop it, right? And that's what I told him, dude. He opens his mouth, like three <laughs> snack size, three musketeers come out of his mouth. And I'm like, where did you get this? Like, still in wrapper, drops it, doesn't eat it, no nothing. So, of course, I grab it, stick it in my pocket. Well, I'm like, hey, I was like, Newt, back on place. So, like, place. He's back on there. He's just sitting there. This time, I'm paying attention to him, right? What he's doing is as kids are coming up asking for candy, the kid in the back, right, I'm watching this dog just go – just stick his head in the kid's like pumpkin like <laughs> like trick-or-treating bowl yeah. and he's just taking as much candy as he can before the kids even notice <laughs> like dude he's like he's and then he'll just sit there and act like nothing happened and go to place and then once the kids would leave him he would just and just throw it up dude and there's this candy in the wrapper not chewed no nothing he's just sitting there that's and I'm like, dude. you just like mischievous dog. Like the, he did the wildest stuff, man. I mean, but he'd go any opportunity that I had to train him. I would, I mean, I'd go out, work on our trailer, like our decoy trailer, like a hey, place. And then like he plays. And then in the midst of that, I'd go take a bumper. Cause I have some in my trailer. I'd take a bumper and I'd throw it out there and be like, he'd sit there and watch it and watch it, watch it, watch it. I'm like, all right, new. 
and he just gone, come back, right? That's I mean, awesome. I'd go scout. I'd go scouting. He would come with me. Like, he'd go. I'd go scout tanks for ducks. He'd go with me. And guess what? We'd take a bumper. We'd train. Like, awesome. that is the way to keep it fun with the dog. If you're doing something and you can just incorporate any little thing, it doesn't have, they don't have to look at it as training, right? You don't have, you can look at it as training, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like, yes, purposeful playtime. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I've had, obviously my, my pointer chocolate lab mix, she had been through trauma. So I think that's why she wasn't as happy to do stuff. Uh, the dog previously to that, that I trained was a blue healer and I probably lost my temper a little bit with that dog. I mean, if you've been around blue healers, I think you get it. Yep. <laughs> they're, God, yep. they're so freaking hard headed and so energetic. And then the one before that was a red wolf. So she wasn't much to train. I didn't try to train her. There's a book upstairs that, um, uh, it's on my nightstand. I've actually read it quite a few times. Uh, my father-in-law gave it to me because he used to train, um, pheasant dogs i don't remember what he had uh, um setters. yeah he had setters yeah irish setters nice. but um he he gave me this book and he said hey read it and like it's written in like it was written in like 1972 and i read it and i mean dude it 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 talks about how to emotionally connect with that dog and like yeah yeah um, you just emotionally connect with that dog and that's how you like, you have to be on the same level. You have to, this is how they think they need to know how you think. Like they need to know how to learn. Like you have to teach them how to learn, but you can't teach them too hard about how to learn. You got to Yeah. It's, it's a fun, like I get a kick out of hunting, uh, not well, hunting over dogs, training dogs. Like I get a kick out of dogs in general. Yeah. I mean, I bet there's definitely an art to it. You know, I've most of the dogs that I've trained haven't been for sportsman dogs. So I bet there's an art. I mean, there, this is the humane way to get top results. It says it Tarrant trains gun dogs. 1972. I've read this book four times. Um, because I mean, this tells everything from like how to talk to your animals, like, speed training like speed training destroys pups training a bird dog training retrievers training flushing dogs first aid heartworms allergies let's go hunting opening day hot weather like gun shyness you name it it's in that and that is that is yeah i live i live by this and now i mean there's another one that i've been reading that i have to get ready for when you have a wild rose dog it's called Training the Wild Rose Way, and they go into humanely training dogs, no e-collars, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and I've, I've done the experiment of training e-collars, training non-e-collar, mm-hmm. and I trained Newt no e-collar. Like, I didn't even put it on him. Yeah. And that dog was, that dog could do everything I wanted him to do. Yeah. Um, now, my Chesapeake, e-collar. He collared him all the way and you get different results. Mm -hmm. Um, Most dogs are 
most dogs, like my Chesapeake, didn't have much fun. Like he had no fun in it, man. He just yeah. wanted to sit next to me. Yeah. And my lab, it was a total different story. Yeah. And that's one thing that, you know, I think I may have been too strict on the, uh, the blue healers because he didn't seem like he was having too much fun. You know, he, and I, and I could see if I had used an e-collar, that's kind of more you're punishing. You're not rewarding, you know? And I think there's, yeah. a, there's a good blend between the two, but I think it probably needs to be a little more reward heavy. Um, and I think that's where I've failed, you know? And, and of course, back then I was like 18, 19 years old, had no clue what the hell I was doing, but um, I do plan on getting another dog once I get out of this apartment. And uh, so I, I, I want to learn how to train a dog properly. So I'm definitely going to look up that book and probably end up buying it, give it a read. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll actually send you, I'll send you a link to this afterwards. Um, okay. I mean, it is, it is, this thing has helped me. I've read it. I mean, I've even highlighted, like there's things in this book that I've highlighted <laughs> because yeah. it, it's so stuck out to me. And, um, I just, it helped man. And I didn't think it would because it's, um, it's so old. But mm-hmm. the old ways are some of the best ways to do it. Yep. Some things don't get outdated. Mm-hmm. Never. True. Like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's freaking awesome. Well, we've been at this for a uh, little over an hour and 15 minutes. So uh, is there anything else that anybody wants to cover before we go ahead and close her up? I mean, we all want to come hunt sandhill cranes, ducks, geese, um, or even just talk training dogs. Um Reach out to me. Uh, my business social media is uh, Shindy Boutfitters. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, anything like that. I got it. And uh, my personal stuff is uh, Ben Wooster. Uh, Wooster spelled like Brewster, but with a W. So. Alrighty, and I'll put all the the links to your socials in the description. So. But it's been a fun one, y'all. Dude, it's been great. We appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of more conversations to be had if you ever want to hop on again. And uh, yeah, man. sounds like I definitely need oh, to make definitely. a trip yeah, down man. there. Yeah, come, come on Bellies, man. And Crane. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. I feel like we barely scratched the surface of, of your knowledge and things. So, yeah, we, we'd love to have you back on whenever, uh, whenever you got us some time. Yeah, I didn't expect to talk dog so much, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I learned a lot, so I don't mind. Russell and I actually we do we have like a two hour long conversation <laughs> in a bar in San Marcos one time just about dogs so we could talk about anything. So well, thank you for coming on, man, and to the listeners. We appreciate y'all listening to the end. Uh, feel free to give us a like, give us a follow, uh, tell your friends, family about us, and I'll go ahead and put Ben's socials in the description. So give him a follow, check him out, and if you're looking to get on some geese or some crane or some ducks or even dove, hit him up. So other than that, we'll catch y'all next time. This has been Wildlife Outdoors. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook at Wildlife Outdoors and on Instagram at wild.life.outdoors. Let's go live life on the wild side.